HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by EscapeMaker.com. Visit a farm. Escape through the net. Visit EscapeMaker.com for more. I'm Damon Bolte, host of The Speakeasy. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. so much for tuning in once again to the Heritage Radio Network. We are coming to you, as always, from the back of Roberta's Pizza on a rainy day here in New York City. You, of course, are tuned into The Farm Report. I'm your host, Erin Fairbanks. Every week on The Farm Report, we talk about the the what's what, the who's who, the how's how of food production uh, across our country and, and around the world. Off air, I am the executive director of Heritage Radio Network, and as any of you who listened to my show last week learned, I am also a burgeoning Muay Thai fighter. Um, just throwing that out there, feeling it a little extra today because uh, coming back from the Thanksgiving break, I was feeling a little sluggish in the gym on Monday, and definitely took a little pop to the face, so I'm currently sporting my first very baby black eye, but, but don't feel bad, I'm not bragging, no one wants to brag about getting hit in the face, that's kind of not the point. Um, just to give you some visual images here, um, another thing that I always think about this time of year as I was kind of running around from the warehouse over to the studio, um, I passed, of course, Brooklyn Natural, our kind of local uh, bodega grocery store on the corner here of um, Bogart and Siegel, and they have uh, tons and tons of Christmas trees. And whether or not you celebrate the Christmas holiday when December hits, it's almost impossible to avoid, if you live in the United States, the scent of fir trees, Christmas trees, uh, wreaths, garland. garland. Um, And we have definitely done shows on Christmas trees in the past, and so we thought it would be fun to kind of continue this exploration. And I'm really excited to be joined on the line by an old friend, Mary Jean Packer, who is the executive director of the Christmas Tree Farmers Association of New York. Mary Jean, welcome to the show. Thanks, Erin. It's great to be here. So when I was a kid growing up in northern Michigan, when it came time to get a Christmas tree at our house, you know, we um, piled in our minivan and drove out into the woods somewhere near my grandpa's place and just walked around till we saw one we liked, cut it down, strapped it to our car and brought it home. 
But I remember, you know, as a kid seeing videos of, of, you know, families driving to kind of like lots and picking out a Christmas tree or in the city kind of uh, street vendors having things of, you know, like racks of Christmas trees. And I always thought that seemed like such a fun thing to kind of go to like have this event. And one of the advantages these places often had over the woods was like hot cocoa or other snacks, which loomed large in my childhood. Um, But um, I never really thought about kind of what impact the Christmas tree was having on uh, kind of the the land around me, the space around me. And I'm hoping you can um, kind of lay out for us a little bit, like what role do Christmas trees play when when they're not playing the kind of center of our home role during the December holiday? When we think about kind of agriculture and agriculture infrastructure and open space, what is like the role of a Christmas tree? I'm sorry, Erin. I've got some background noise here. Right when I was getting ready to talk, I I'll work on moving to someplace quieter. Oh, I think you're coming through okay. Um, anything exciting going on up there? <laughs> oh, there's always something exciting going on when it comes to Christmas trees at Christmas tree season. We've had just a ton of calls from folks. In fact, that background noise was about a project that the Christmas tree growers here in New York are working on, which is called Trees for Troops, in which Christmas tree farmers donate trees to military bases in the U.S. and overseas. Oh, wow. Wow, that's super so, cool. Well, I definitely want to circle back to that. that. Yeah, no worries. Talking about the environmental benefits. <laughs> yeah, of, let's start there and we'll, we'll work our way back. Excuse me? I said, well, yeah, let's, let's start with kind of the, the lay of the land and the role of the tree before it gets to us in our homes. Um, here in New York, there's about 19,000 acres that are planted to Christmas trees. Uh, that makes, um, we have about 875 farms, so that ranks New York in the top four or five Christmas tree producing states in the United States. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, it's um, big business as well in terms of a positive economic impact of agriculture, uh, for sure. But today, um, I'm really excited to talk about the positive environmental impact of this kind of agriculture, um, especially with all the discussion about um, global warming and climate change and oxygen depletion, Christmas trees are a real success story in all of that because they're actually putting oxygen into the air at um, at a pretty big rate, a thousand pounds per acre, which is what people need to breathe. Eighteen people need to breathe in a year. So I think that that kind of runs counter to I think some assumptions that people might make about Christmas trees um, as being oh you know it, it's a waste and you shouldn't like cut the trees they should be out there in nature and the actually the more sustainable thing to do is to buy a fake tree and use it year after year. Um, so can you talk a little bit more about like why that's not really the case? And you know I have had so many really well-meaning people who 
bring a cloth shopping bag to the grocery store. That well-meaning person tell me with pride that they've done the right thing. They've given up their fresh tree. They miss the smell. They, they miss that, that sense of the outdoors in their home. But they think they've done the right thing to go without a real tree in favor of a fake tree. And they have this concern, like you said, about cutting a tree just for their own use. And they also are concerned about discarding it. But, you know, the funny thing is that a recycled Christmas tree goes right back into the earth. Uh, a path on a trail in the park or, or mulch in your garden under your kid's swing set. Um, a a ground-up Christmas tree is, is tremendous mulch. Think about an artificial tree. That is going to last in the landfill forever. Yeah, so it's, so kind of, it's yeah, not really doing the right thing at all, but people so have it in their mind that it's not good to be cutting trees. In fact, young trees like this are really where that oxygen benefits coming from. A mature forest um, does not produce nearly that amount of oxygen because a mature forest is growing more slowly. So it's these fast-growing six, seven, eight-year-old trees that are making all that great oxygen. So when we're thinking about someone who is a quote-unquote like Christmas tree farmer, my guess would be that that is probably not many people's kind of full-time gig, but that the Christmas tree farming aspect of their business is part of um, other types of agriculture that and, and operations that they use to make a living. But but is that true, or, or do is this an area where people really specialize? Well, I'll give you a little snapshot of, of who's growing Christmas trees, including some people whose trees are available in New York City in the green markets this season. So um, Herd Family Farm, that's a multi-generation mom and dad, their son Charles, who's actually set up at Fort Green and Brooklyn Borough Hall Green Markets on Saturdays. They have a ton of other ag going on out at their farm up in the Hudson Valley. And they do a corn maze. They've got pick-your-own pumpkins. They have lots of great ag education programs for school groups that come out to their farms. They've got a lot of stuff going on. And Christmas trees is a nice part of it. Now, on the other hand, we have a Christmas tree farmer like Dave Wheel, and his farm is called Empire Evergreens, and it's out near Corning, New York. And that's all Dave grows on his farm. Acres and acres, as far as the eye can see, of absolutely perfect Christmas trees. Um, he's a guy in his 30s. Uh, grew up on a farm, that, not growing Christmas trees, but new farming. Went away to college, I think his degree is in business, and said, you know, I have an, an inheritance. I have a farm. What am I going to grow on it? And he decided to grow Christmas trees. And now he sells trees um, to retailers right in, the, right in the city. And he told me right before we went on the air 
Uh, the name of one of those retailers is um, Vernie's in Queens, Vernie's Garden Center. I, I stepped away from my notes to get where it's quiet. <laughs> we'll come back to that. Yeah, well, and I do know for folks who are in the New York uh, State area and the New York City area in particular, you can definitely find a full list of where to find um, trees from the Christmas Tree Farmers Association of New York by visiting their website, which is www.christmastreesny.com. It is a new partnership for your association to be focused um, in the New York City market. In particular, um, you guys announced just just earlier this year a collaboration with Grow NYC. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? We're really excited about the Grow NYC partnership. Uh, we want to thank the New York State Department of Ag and Markets and the Empire State Development Corporation for helping us get connected with the folks over at Grow NYC. And they have been just fantastic to work with. And they have helped um, get some of my farmers into four of their green markets. And I mentioned earlier that um, Charles Hurd and, and his family are in the Fort Greene and Brooklyn Borough Hall. We also have a, a really lovely farm from up in Dutchess County called Primrose Hill Farm that's part of the Green Market Project. And they're doing Tucker Square in Manhattan on Thursdays and Saturdays and Jackson Heights in Queens on Sundays. So lots of different places if you're located here in the city. And, you know, I do know that people tune in to the Farm Report from all over the country. So I want to talk a little bit generally about, um, you know, when we're shopping for Christmas trees in New York, obviously we can be looking to your website as far as where we should go for those, those purchases. But if I'm a Christmas tree buyer in, you know, Michigan, Idaho, can you talk a little bit about, like, what are the other benefits of buying a tree locally? And, and what are the kind of questions that we should be asking about our tree when we go to pick one up other than like, hey, is it like, you know, the right height or, you know, the right circumference or does it look the way I want? Like, how do we become more discerning tree buyers if our goal is really to be supporting sustainable agriculture? Great question, Erin. And I'm, I'm to to answer that. Really, the, the thing that someone needs to ask if they aren't buying the tree at the farm is they should be asking, how far has this tree traveled to get to where I am? And there's no place in the country, even in the South, that doesn't grow Christmas trees. Really? There's different species in different parts of the country, but pretty much everywhere has locally grown trees. Wow, I had no idea. And the reason I'm pushing that is because of the freshness. If you get a locally grown tree, it will have traveled fewer miles and been cut just a few days before it comes to market. So it's going to have the smell. It's going to have the needle retention. It's going to be a lot safer to have in the home and a lot more attractive. Now, safer, why is that? Oh, I think we maybe had you cut out there a little bit, Mary Jean. Um, I have, unfortunately, I have call waiting, and <laughs> it keeps beeping in. I, 
I can see they tried me calling on my cell phone, and now they're calling in here. I'm sorry. No worries. I'm a one-person one shop today. My secretary just went to lunch. Well, you know what? Not too surprising to hear that the executive director of a Christmas tree association is busy at the beginning of December. Um, but I was asking about the, the safety factor. Can you explain that? Well, one of the other reasons people say they don't get a real tree is that they're worried about fire. And you should be worried about fire, but you need to be prudent. If you put a, a tree in front of your fireplace and a spark from the fireplace leaps onto the tree, it's going to burn. If you put a tree in the window and never water it again, it's going to get pretty dry. If you use the same string of lights that you inherited from your grandmother that spark just a little when you plug them in each year, <laughs> you're going to ask for trouble. Okay. So my point is a well-hydrated tree is going to stay fresh and look beautiful and be very safe. And all a family has to do is remember to water the tree. Um, maybe it's a dinnertime ritual. When you sit down to eat and you're getting out what you're going to drink, remember your tree wants a drink, too. That makes sense. Now, you know, you obviously sit at the helm of an association of tree farmers, and I feel like some folks might want to understand a little bit. I mean, I know I do. Why is it important to have such an association? Why do farmers choose to kind of work for you uh, or work with you? And, and kind of what are the benefits of having a more kind of unified voice? And that's the story of trade associations, be it the Maple Association, the, the wine and grape growers, the apple producers. Um, agriculture has a long and proud history of farmers joining commodity group trade associations and and that's for the networking if nothing else and the, the support and and education that an organization like ours offers we do a really popular summer farm tour each year at one of our members farms and we'll get hundreds of christmas tree farmers from all over the state and oftentimes from out of state too who come to see what that farm's doing and to take classes with experts from Cornell and um, SUNY ESF, the forestry school. Um, there, there's so much support within an industry, and an association provides the framework for those farmers to work together. And here's a perfect example of that, how Primrose Hill Farm is doing the, the Jackson Heights Green Market on Sundays. Um, they have reached out to a further upstate farm that would not be able to get all the way down to Jackson Heights to say, you know, we, we don't think we're going to have time to, to make enough greens, enough garlands, enough wreaths. Um, can we buy from you and sell to them? And, and they said, of course. So some of the wreaths and greens that will be being sold in Jackson Heights were actually made in the southern Adirondacks. And that's an example of a trade association helped to connect those two farms. That makes a lot of sense. I definitely remember one of the other things that we always did as a fundraiser when I was growing up uh, for our volleyball program is we would make uh, garlands. So we would definitely spend a couple of cold nights in someone's garage tying uh, 
bits of a fir tree together to to raise money. I feel like I have so many like really fond um, Christmas tree and 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 ever you know all those like memories of the smells and and that space feel really like special to me. Um, I wanted to thinking about the association as well in kind of keeping its finger on the pulse of what's happening in the Christmas tree industry nationally or even internationally. Could you give us a little peek into what are some of the kind of core issues that your group really like follows and stays on top of and the things that really affect Christmas tree growers? Well, one of the projects that we took on about a year and a half ago that's a perfect example of that is um, trying to learn about some varieties of trees that might be more resistant to disease um, and do better on some of the soils we have here in New York. So we all know that the Fraser fir is a very popular tree, and it grows great in North Carolina. But it doesn't always grow so great in New York or other States at our at our latitude, and so working with a national research project, we've identified that Turkish fir, and we're talking Turkish like in the country Turkey, where those trees grow native in the mountains, um, seem to grow a little better than a Fraser fir in many of New York's sites. So working first with the national research and then getting funding from the New York State Farm Viability Institute, we've been able to fund a research project at SUNY ESF in Syracuse to do on-farm trials of Turkish fur. And hopefully we'll be able to extend the knowledge there, what we've learned about Turkish fur as a potential substitute for Fraser fur um, to all our members in the next few years. Wow, that's like so interesting. I mean, I feel like too when you start talking about you know research and and pulling in varieties internationally, I think you know the thing that jumps to the top of my mind is like, wow, it sounds like a Christmas tree growing is is you know it's quite an established business. So, what can we talk a little bit about the economics? Of, of tree production and, and what um, role that's playing in agriculture in New York State and, and what type of dollars we're talking about when we talk about Christmas trees? Oh, in, in, indeed. That um, given that we, in 2012, the National Ag Statistics Service um, tracks sales, and that's the most recent sales year that we have those audited results. Um, we sold about 275,000 trees, so figured at about an $8 million industry just based on tree sales. But if you look at any multiplier effects, because Christmas tree farmers hire local people, they buy their fertilizer locally, they buy their tractors locally, they invest in local banks. If you look at all of that, it ends up being more like a 14 or 15 million dollar industry annually. Wow. Yeah, so I feel like anytime you got Ilion at the end of a number, you're talking about big stuff. <laughs> and it was interesting to hear you too kind of talk about the um the varieties. I know when we were growing up, blue spruce was always kind of what was trending 
um, in, in, you know, Roger City, Michigan. That was like kind of the tree to have. And, and I think here in New York City, uh, when we think about the, the Christmas holiday, there's a couple of like really iconic um, tree locations. And I know that you guys through the State Association uh, were responsible for the tree that folks can find up at Lincoln Center. So can you tell us a little bit more about that type of tree, not the, the like six, seven-year-old tree that we might have in our homes, but those kind of real statement pieces that go in front of important city businesses or at the center of town, um, you know, looking at the Lincoln Center as, as a particular example, can you give us some of the, the dimensions and, and maybe unpack for us a little bit about what it takes to bring those giant um, kind of public demonstrations of, of Christmas trees to down to the city and get them mounted and lit and and all of that. Well, that Lincoln Center tree was just spectacular. I was there at the lighting on Monday night, and um, it's actually in a New York City park called Dante Park across the street from Lincoln Center at um, 63rd and Broadway, and the tree will be there um, through the end of the year if folks want to go and see it. It was um, put up as the opening event of um, a program called Winter's Eve Celebration that's in its 16th year, sponsored by the Lincoln Square Business Improvement District. And what a great neighborhood event that was on, on Monday night. Um, I felt just so so welcomed into that community and they had set up probably 10 blocks along Broadway of, of food to sample and stores stayed open late. It was, was beautiful celebration. Um, but as to the tree, Aaron, it was a 30-foot wow. con-color fir, wow. about 13 feet across at the bottom. And I was there when it was cut on November 12th up in Wyoming County, which is southwest of Rochester, on southeast of Buffalo, and it was cut on a farm that the farm started in um, 1952 um, by the current farmer's dad. The original farmer is no longer living. The current farmer is Bill Domes, and Bill and his wife Katie were with me in New York City on Monday to see their tree being being lit. <clears throat> but Bill says he thinks he planted the tree about 30 years ago, uh, and it, he is uh, a year-round Christmas tree farmer, but in addition to selling cut trees, he also has a, a very successful business in selling live trees, and he has the largest tree digging equipment in New York State on his farm. So he was able to get this giant tree wrapped up tight even before he cut it down. And so when he did cut it, there were no branches broken when it fell to the ground. Then he used his heavy equipment to lift it onto a special trailer, and then Bill drove it into the city in the middle of the night to beat the traffic. <laughs> and when the sun came up, he was parked at the curb on Broadway and 63rd. At 9 a.m. that morning, New York City Parks, came with their special equipment and lifted it off Bill's truck, unwrapped it, and put it into um, a special tree stand that they have developed for use in Dante Park. Wow. 
Wow, I think it's just so wild to kind of think about you know this this really um common object in this month of december that you know i think if you're like me um you know you haven't really spent a ton of time thinking about all uh, the people the work the association the farmers the producers the transport you know the care the research that goes into bringing us this really wonderful kind of um piece of agriculture into our homes every year for for the Christmas holidays. Um, Super cool. Mary Jean, it's been so interesting. I always love getting to connect with you. Um, You know, for folks who want to hear more from Mary Jean, we actually... Uh, a couple of years ago, worked together on a fiber series. So if you are trolling through the Farm Report archives, there's a really great um, collection of interviews that Mary Jean and I put put together from, I, I want to say 2013, because in addition to her work um, with the Christmas Tree Farmers Association of New York, uh, Mary Jean is also really engaged in the the fiber industry. So you you know you have your fingers in all these really interesting pockets of agriculture. I always learn so much when we chat. Well, thanks, Erin, and I really appreciate your interest in in digging a little deeper into what's behind people's Christmas tree. They they're going to pick up at the green market or at the corner store. It's I think it really helps people to understand the the care with which their trees are grown and the importance of selecting a farm fresh tree. So if folks want if you want to take a picture or take a peek at that picture of the um, tree that's up by Lincoln Center, you can find it on the Heritage Radio Network Instagram. If you want to learn more about um, Christmas trees in general um, or specifically where to find trees here in New York City or across the state, you can uh, visit christmastreesny.org as we mentioned earlier in the show and if you're you know looking to buy a tree anywhere else in the country i think that we've done a good job of arming you with the right questions to ask your local christmas tree vendor and things to think about as you're making this purchase for your home this year and in years to come Uh, we're going to hang tight we're going to have a short station break Uh, stay tuned hang tight we'll be right back Hi, this is Linda Palaccio, host of A Taste of the Past. And you know, I remember my very first show, December 2009. It was a cold winter. And my first guest was William Grimes from the New York Times. Now, the one specific I had to tell him was wear a hat, gloves, and a warm coat because our studio had no heat. We had no heat in the winter. We had no air conditioning in the summertime. It was rough going, but we were a startup, and we had a good show, regardless of the fact that we could see our breath. So today, we still have hurdles to climb over, and the only way we can get there is with your help. So if you would please consider being a member and press that little beating heart button in the upper right-hand corner to donate. 
it's going to help us have heat and electricity and air conditioning and really good sound with really great guests. Thanks for listening. Visit a farm. Log on to escapemaker.com for more ideas on local weekend getaways and day trips, including orchards, farms, and wineries. Come by Escape Maker's Yellow Tent and Grow NYC's Green Markets and pick up a guide to local agritourism escapes to the Green Market's own farmers and producers. The guide will be updated seasonally to feature farms, wineries, and destinations in New York City, New York State, New Jersey, Vermont, and Pennsylvania. Plus, Escape Maker will offer overnight packages to these destinations so you get the full experience. No car? No problem. Escape Maker features plenty of ideas for car-free getaways, including discounts via Amtrak. There's no better time to explore outside the city. Soak up the fresh air and scenery like a butterfly and support your local farmer. Log on to escapemaker.com to get inspired and make your escape through the net. All right, we are back. You, of course, are tuned into the Farm Report. It was so much fun chatting with Mary Jean. Uh, such a small world. You know, I actually had first met her when I was working up at Flying Pigs Farm. She worked with Maple Inn Farms, an amazing maple syrup producer up in Salem, New York. And we have stayed in touch over the years, and she's involved with so many great agriculture products and projects. Um, just exciting and, and really reminds me of one of the things I feel so privileged to get to do every week is to sit down with these people who are real uh, innovators and workers and doers in this food and farming space. And I know that that also applies to you out there listening to the Farm Report, tuning in every week and being part of the show as a listener. And I have to ask, um, you know, the Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. Our work is completely dependent on the support of listeners like you. You know, that is um, one of our primary funding streams in addition, of course, to the station breaks that you're used to hearing. And every December we come and we ask you to give us a couple of bucks. And it's because it's totally necessary to keep us on air. Like your home or your business, Heritage Radio Network has, you know, bills to pay. We got studio costs, we have website costs, we have our staff salaries to pay. And those things are there week after week, year after year. And so we need your support uh, to help sustain the station. And really any amount is helpful. Um, one of the cool features of our new website is that when you click that beating heart at www.heritageradionetwork.org and choose to become a donor at any amount, you can pick from the scroll down menu and let us know that the farm report sent you. And it would make me feel really good to know that it's more than just my mom out there listening. Hi, mom. Thank you for being a member. Hi, Aunt Pity Pat. Thank you for being a member. Um, would love a chance to shout out some more uh, listeners and friends and fans. And of course, if now's not a great time to give, no worries. Would still love to hear from you. You can find me, as always, on Twitter. I'm Aaron underscore Fairbanks. Or shoot me an email. It's just Aaron at heritageradionetwork.org. We have... Um, some exciting news in store for you for the 2016 season, but I'm going to make you tune in to the next couple of shows that we have left to find that out. In the meantime, I hope to see you on our donor rolls before 
December 31st, which is the deadline for anything that you want to be uh, a tax deductible in this year's um, tax rolls. So, so check it out. Give what you can would really mean a lot to me personally. And I would be excited to say thank you for continuing to support the show in, in yet another way. I really appreciate it. And that's a wrap, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Stay tuned in. And we'll be back at you next week. listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.